Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Welcome to episode 000068 of The Mission. My name is Daniel James. I'll be your host through the curfew this evening, broadcasting to you once again from Radio City Docklands. And as we all know, Radio City Docklands is on the home of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And always remember, this land was always Aboriginal land and always will be. So I hope, I hope you're keeping well. Um, pretty encouraging to see the numbers continue to go down, even before the full effect of uh, stage four kicks in, which means the vast majority of us are doing the right thing. So let's just keep doing that, you know, socially distancing, washing your hands, wear a face mask. Don't be a knob, basically. Um, I think that's the order of the day. And uh, if we keep not being knobs, we'll get through this thing sooner rather than later. But uh, even in times of uh, COVID, there are things that uh, continue to happen. And in a pandemic like this, it gives us pause to reflect. And with that in mind, today is the 18th of August, which marks Vietnam Veterans Day. It is the anniversary of the Battle of Long Tan, which took place back in 1966, some 54 years ago, in which Australian forces were engaged in a battle with superior numbers of North Vietnamese Army and Viet Cong forces. I guess the main thing that we need to remember about uh, Vietnam Veterans Day, or something that we should re- reflect on, is what a futile and yet monumental waste of life, time and money it was. Australia's mindless involvement as an ally of the US to try and prohibit the flimsiest of theories from coming into fruition that being the domino theory, the theory that if one country failed to communism, the next country would follow and so on and so forth. So therefore, we would have uh, the Greens in a federal parliament as the leading party. I'm joking. I'm joking. So in fact, what we did with the US was basically insert ourselves into what was basically a civil war, a civil dispute. It cost over 500 Australian lives, over a million Vietnamese lives, and that's a conservative estimate, and over 50,000 American lives. 160 Aboriginal men served in Vietnam, my dad amongst them, so full disclosure. So shortly I'll be joined with uh, by Michael Bell from the Australian War Memorial to talk about First Nations servicemen's involvement in that particular theatre of war. And in the second half of the show, I'll be joined by Torres Strait Islander man Yessie Mosby uh, on action that has been taken across those beautiful islands by people in those beautiful islands against the Australian government, uh, where they are taking the Australian government to the UN over inaction on climate change and uh, as a violation of their human rights. Seems like a completely reasonable thing uh, for me. Um, I guess once you have the bones of your ancestors being washed up on shore, because they are now, now buried underwater where land used to be, you've got to do something to protect those sacred remains. You need to do something to protect your mob. And the uh, last 10 or 15 years has been a waste of time in terms of climate action by successive governments in this country. So we'll speak to Yessie about that. 
So that's the show this evening. Let's hope everything technically goes all right. Uh, it's a, always a high wire act broadcasting here from Radio City Docklands. But um, if you want to contact me during the show, my Twitter handle, which is probably the best way to get in contact with me, is at Mr. DT James. So let's get rolling. Stay safe, stay strong, and stay listening. This is the mission on 102.7 Triple R FM. Triple R. Now, as I mentioned at the top of this show, um, today marks the 54th anniversary of the Battle of Long Tan, an anniversary that has also been chosen to recognise Vietnam War veterans here in Australia. Uh, when they initially came back from uh, armed conflict in the most violent place on earth, they were treated with uh, less than respect and protesters who often got uh, the, the role of the, the soldier, the airman or the, or, the, or the seaman mixed up with the decisions made by powers that be to follow the US into that particular conflict. On the line now to tell us about the involvement of Aboriginal servicemen in that long and bloody conflict is Michael Bell. Michael Bell has been on the show before and he's the Australian War Memorial's Indigenous Liaison Officer. He's a Nwangai Gomorrah man. He joined the military history section in 2015, having previously worked with several Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander organisations. During his time at the memorial, Michael has played a key role in encouraging Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, including myself, to come forward with their stories relating to Australian military history and in building effective relationships between Indigenous communities and the memorial. He's on the line now. Michael, welcome back to the mission. Yeah, thank you, Daniel. And just again, I'd like to pay my respects to the traditional owners and custodians of the land which we're going out to today. And um, just let you know, it's Ngunnawal Gomeroy is my country. Um, and we'll, we'll get you learned up on that, as we know, my brother. But it's, it's good. Thank you for having me on again tonight. Absolute pleasure. Um, the Australian War Memorial, largely through the work that you do, has done a tremendous amount of work to capture not only the names of Aboriginal service men and women, but to also tell their stories. Uh, when it comes to the Vietnam War, uh, what have you learned? What have you discovered? Well, what we've learned is, is with the other conflicts as well. Our men enlisted early and they enlisted late and they enlisted very regularly. And what we've also found in doing our research on the Vietnam veterans, which is thankful for us because a lot of it is in written memory, we had a lot of conscripted volunteers. And we, call, we say that because at the time, and despite the 1967 referendum, um, it was still... You could, uh, Aboriginal men were exempt from conscription. But what we were finding is that our young men were getting drafted. Their number were coming out in, in the, con- the conscription numbers. They'd go to the, um, to the enlistment station and they'd say, oh, you don't have to serve because you're Aboriginal. So he'd walk out, get his, his conscription ticket stamp so he answered the call and walk back in and come back in and enlist because him and the rest of his mates that got conscripted were then, um, we went off to serve and, they, and our men didn't think it was fair to use their Aboriginality as an exemption, and they wanted to go off and do their bit, and we're fighting that across all of the wars. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a, a great sense of pride for our men to want to do, still defend the country. So it's a, it's a, it's a common theme. I mean, Aboriginal uh, men and women have been involved in every major conflict that uh, we, what we now know as Australia has been involved in. Um, there are estimates that about 160 men served in the three um, forces during uh, the Vietnam War, but there's also some speculation that that might be up as high as uh, 300. What are your thoughts on yeah, well, the real number well, lies? We're, we're already... We're already over 300. We've got 330 on our list as I speak today. And that's, that large number, that large increase has come to, I've recently been in touch with the 
Vietnam Veterans Association of Australia, and they put me in contact with their with their diggers and and the uh, non-indigenous brothers and sisters that served with our men have been more than willing to come up with their names and tell me about the, the Aboriginal soldiers that they've served with. And that's that's been a big benefit for us is to um, have have. The other non-Indigenous Vietnam veterans want to recognise their Aboriginal brothers and sisters that fought beside them. And in, in that, we've, we've discovered that we've got one of our earliest and most the highest-ranked Torres Strait Islander man is Tom Gravara, and he was actually a pilot who flew um, in the bird dogs and possums. He was, he was a reconnaissance pilot flying in the early part of the war, um, very low over people recognised the helicopter that he flew in as one of the ones that carried the injured in MASH. So uh, Tom Gravara is currently a our highest-ranked Torres Strait Islander man in, in, the, in the Vietnam War. And our research has discovered we've got five Aboriginal men that fought at, actually fought at the Battle of Long Tang. Now, as um, you mentioned when you were on here last, Michael, um, the Torres Strait Islanders in particular um, have, have a tremendous... Uh, record of, of of serving their country in these um, um, theatres of conflict. Do you want to just expand on that for a sec? Yeah, well, as, as going back to the Second World War, ninety five percent of the eligible eligible men from the islands enlisted in what was called the Torres Strait Islander Light Infantry Battalion, and ninety five percent of volunteers was the greatest number any Commonwealth state or country or territory in the world. Uh, standard. Um, lists the rates of volunteerism or volunteering in, in other in Australia, mainland Australia, was at about 22%. So 95% of the eligible men wanted to go, and they formed one of the only um, segregated battalions in the Second World War, and there were 836 of those men who made that battalion, and they defended their country, they defended their island, and they fought and provided services to the army all the way through. So that that's a, a part of the Tarsite Island, and that that contribution needs to be respected and known about. And we need to talk more in relation to the, the service that those those men um, dedicated to their country. Yeah, and they're they're still protecting their islands to this very day. This, this time against um, climate change, we'll be speaking with um, uh, Jesse uh, Mosby uh, after you, Michael, who um, is uh, trying to protect his people and his islands from uh, the, the, the ravages of climate change. So um, they're warriors through and through up there. Um, unbelievable. Without a doubt. Sorry? Without a doubt. And that goes yeah. to all of our men, all of, all of our Aboriginal men too, across all the states and territories, through all the theatre of the war and, and the more research, the more we get to talk to, to uh, wonderful hosts like yourself, Daniel, about that contribution. As you know, your, your uncle and, and your dad served in the Second World War in, in Vietnam and and we're trying to um, piece together their story, and we've got some footage of, of your dad on one of the um, Christmas films. You did, yeah. That was um, that was uh, a real, real treat when you, you 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 somehow found my details and you reached out to me, and um, you uh, discovered this footage of uh, my dad. They one of the things they used to do for um, service people over there in Vietnam was they would put together Christmas reels that they would send back home to families and loved ones, and there was. Um, there was the old man back in '71, uh, a good-looking rooster, um, sending back his um, his uh, messages of love and support back to uh, his family. Um, unbelievably, Michael, the the Vietnam War, and it's it's hard to believe this now, was actually a conscripted war. You know, I think some people may have forgotten that. Um, do, do you have any idea how many Aboriginal people were actually conscripted, and as opposed to volunteered? <laughs> 
you know, we, we don't have an, an immediate breakdown at the moment because of a lot of our men, as I said earlier, that were, Aboriginality was, a, was a, a, a clause to get out of, of um, an exemption from, from, from conscription. So a lot of those just volunteered. But um, we, know, we know of um, conscripts, the Aboriginal conscripts that were conscripted, but until we've got further detail and we can, and, and I don't want to guess at that number, mm. and I don't want to pay the disrespect to the men who, who were conscripted and or, or Nashos uh, as well. So what we have to do is we wait till some further detail, the more research come in, and then we can sit down and break the numbers down. You know, at the moment, it's, it's, we don't want to we don't want to define service, and it's just service, and or an attempt to serve is what we're trying to record. So that um, some some people say, "Oh, my, my dad didn't actually go overseas, so he doesn't count." He counts because he's wearing an Australian uniform. That's right. You mentioned that there are some uh, Aboriginal servicemen at the at the Battle of Long Tan itself, which occurred fifty four years ago today. Uh, tell us a little bit about that battle. Why um, it is. I guess etched in the the history as predominantly as it is of the Vietnam War for Australia. Well, it's it's etched in our history, so that it, it was just a sheer weight of numbers that were stacked against us. the The estimates were that the um, the hundred and six um, Australian troops run, ran into about two and a half thousand Viet Cong, a battalion that they were out went hunting for. And everybody knows if you've seen Danger Near, a recent movie that's been made of the Battle, the battle of Long Tan, um, it's it's a uh, they were at a concert on the day, and that the uh, some mortars were lodged into the Nui Dak base, and um, the the um, three platoons were sent out to go and hunt and see what's going on, and, and the men that made up uh, 11, 10, 11, 12 platoon was were sent out to find the enemy, and they came across a few enemy, enemy troops and started following them. And then before they knew it, they had uh, come across a, 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 a Vietnamese uh, battalion and and they started fighting and defending themselves for about four hours, um, solid in in many different varieties of ranges and trying to get in cut off and then defending themselves. It became a large victory. Even like we lost 18 of our, our brave troops that day. Mm-hmm. And what we what we know to respect is that although we, we the minimum we could have been everyone, our, our artillery and the coordination of our troops in the artillery, Uncle Uncle Vic Simons who's recently passed away, may he rest in peace. He was at mm-hmm. the battle and he he swore that the artillery men from about seven miles away kept them alive because they were put a put a he said a, a, it was a, he put they put a, a curtain of lead around the Australian troops and they were being called in and it's it's just a monumental achievement of coordination and battle planning and good leadership that kept our, um, most of our men alive. And as I um, mentioned before, the the welcome the welcome home uh, for a lot of Vietnam veterans, uh, both black and white, was less than ceremonious. And it wasn't really until the, the mid to late 80s that uh, their service had become properly recognised by the, by the Australian community. And that's when Bob Hawke, uh, announced in uh, 1987 that Long Tan Day would then become known as um, Vietnam Veterans Day. Um, has that movement, has that recognition um, continued its momentum since then, Michael, or is it something that um, is at risk of being forgotten amongst everything else? No, it, it's, it's not, because they're, 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 they're our modern veterans now. The, the, the men and women who fought and, and made the ultimate sacrifice at, at Long Tan Hour 
are our active, active, you know, and our modern day uh, veterans, and they're they're our senior group. We're leaving. We've only got a handful of Second World War veterans left, mm. and it's been the mantle's been passed. And now we're looking at more at the modern day veteran, our Afghanistan, Middle East veterans, who are still very relatively young, and, and I don't know if the nation's ready to recognise them as veterans, even though they they are, and they all all their service needs to be recognised. But our Vietnam veterans, and we went through that long period of peace afterwards, and our veterans are getting recognised later, and they had the large welcome home, home parade, and Uncle Victor Simon also told me that was a special day for him because it was, it was the welcome that they didn't get, even though it was late, and then they started to get that pride in their service and also their pride in their battalions and the pride in what they'd done, and they could, it started them helping their healing process because they could share their stories and they were, weren't being considered as um, the negative impact of was in Vietnam and the, the much maligned um, uh, 70s war and the American war, so it was called. But what, what, our, what our guys have done, he said, that we, we went and served with pride and we served the country, we answered the call, and it was for a lot of years that didn't get recognised. But now it is, and we need to continue that because um, Australians... Australians, all of us, we need to come along and recognise that service and sacrifice. Those men and women fought for our freedom and they fought for our rights to be where we are today. And a veteran is a veteran is a veteran, no matter how how recent or how long ago the conflict was, we as Australians need to understand and pay, pay our respects to that service, especially those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. It is 24 past seven here on Tuesday evening. You listen to the mission on 102.7 Triple R FM. Um, Michael, you know, hanging around my dad and talking to my dad about things, and like a lot of veterans, he didn't want to share a lot. And um, I think that's a fairly typical thing. But one thing that we've learned is that there was a casualty rate in Vietnam, but there's also a casualty rate post Vietnam for a lot of veterans who suffered horrific trauma and actually ended up, you know, either self-harming, taking their lives or, or leading a life in which they uh, perhaps uh, led to addiction, whether it be alcohol, um, cigarettes, drugs or, or the like. What, what role can the Australian War Memorial play to um, assist those veterans as they continue to go through, many of them continue to go through, you know, that struggle? Well, our, our, our role is to tell their stories. Where they, where they remain silent, we need to be able to share that with their families so that they can understand what their what their fathers or uncles or great-grand-uncles went through. So we can bring that light of information and understand that it was a terrible war. Well, there's no good war. Yeah. All war is terrible. But the, the circumstances for them were that it was the first televised war. And people had opinions, and the political landscape was changing as they were fighting. And they sort of didn't really know what they were fighting for, because it was a, a, a war of, of many of many reasons and many starting. But it was it was more political than our defence. It was clear cut in our first and second world war. We had to fight the Germans yep. to stop fascism and, and so forth. But in the second world war, it was less so, and it became more political as as the as the war dragged on, and it was a very, very long conflict. We were, our reasons were changing, our governments were changing. The Vietnam War, you mean? the political landscape, yes, and the, yeah. and the landscape you know, in Australia was changing. And what we, need, what we need to do is at the war memorial is share those stories and make it, make it bring that part of history to life. 
so that we can say this is the context in which he served and why he served and this is what he done and where he done it. And that then helps the families understand why he didn't want to talk about it. And that's where we need to get our veterans to help each other and also our support agencies such as Beyond Blue and um, uh, Soldier On. Soldier On, Lifeline and and Beyond Blue. And and anybody that needs help needs to be able to be in a place today, this day and age, where they can receive that. You know, it's it's, the manly man is, is gone now. Hopefully we can get rid of that. That, that stamina, that stigma that's on mental illness, it's, it's an illness. It's not its not a weakness. And we need to be able to share that and give the understanding to the families and the community so that they understand what our veterans went through so that they can look at that with that same acknowledgement and pride so that service and that time is seen as a dedicated part of the country's respect. I just think that um, I've always thought that the best way to enact change, whether it be in the welfare of veterans or the welfare of our people more generally, is to, is through stories and be able to capture those stories and make them as vivid and profound as possible so the broader Australian community can actually get on board and understand to some degree what it's like to, to walk in our shoes. And, Michael, you do that brilliantly up at the Australian War Memorial. Um, thank you once again for your time, and we'll definitely have you back on again to, to um, talk about the other aspects of this particular field. Thank you. Not a problem. Thank you, James. Always happy to help you out, brother. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. Uh, just a quick reminder that uh, next week, as of Friday, this week actually, uh, Radiothon kicks off and this station, which has done a tremendous job of staying on air during what has been uh, times that are unparalleled in, in most of our lifetimes, needs your support. Uh, we just had a Zoom meeting before with uh, some broadcasters and uh, all the wonderful volunteers in the show and discovered a very startling statistic is that uh, in March, as a result of COVID, Triple R lost 96% of its sponsorship dollars. Now, that's picked up a bit and we're around about 40% now, but um, what that means is that we need the support of our wonderful audience more now than ever. There's no other station like it in the country. There's no other station like it in Melbourne, certainly. And it provides a great array of voices, a great array of diverse voices uh, from still here on Sundays, a reach on Wednesdays, um, my good self here, and, and a whole bunch of other people from all sorts of wonderful and sometimes wacky walks of life. And uh, we can't do it without your support. Now, we know that there is money floating around the economy. We know that some people may not be able to support us, but just as an indication, uh, JB Hi-Fi yesterday that um, I guess it's a music, software, hardware, uh, computer-type store, recorded record profits. You know, its profits compared to last year, I believe, were up um, uh, 75%. So we know that there's money floating around. And if you could throw some our way to keep this station on air... And continue to bring, hopefully, the joy, the reason, and uh, the debate, the discussions, the humour, and, of course, the music, then, by all means, uh, start thinking now about how you can uh, support and contribute this station because it is here for you. Because you know what? We are your broadcaster in times of disaster. 
Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. To tonight's second guest, with the world's attention well and truly focused on fighting uh, COVID-19, it would seem that some, if not many, have forgotten about the far greater threat to all of our health and well-being, and that is, of course, the impending catastrophic climate change, which is, as we saw in the recent summer, beginning to affect us all in more and more ways. One of the areas that is feeling the effects of climate change the most is the Torres Strait Islands. People across those beautiful islands, frustrated by decades now of inaction by Australian governments of both persuasions on climate change, has decided to take the very said government to the United Nations. And one of the uh, prominent claimants in the action is uh, Yessi Mosby. Yessi is a Torres Strait Islander man. I'll get him to describe his heritage uh, in a moment. But he is also an artist, a craftsman, and a claimant in the human rights complaint to the United Nations over climate change. And the Torres Strait Islander organiser with 350.org Australia. And he is on the line now from said Torres Strait Islanders. Uh, Yesi, welcome to Triple R. Yeah, good night. Yeah, thanks for um, inviting me. Yeah. Um, I'm here in the central part of the Torres Strait, Mm -hmm. uh, right at the tip of Queensland, where only probably about 15 nautical miles off the main coast of Papua New Guinea, and we're at the tip of the Great Barrier Reef, which extends right down to uh, Brisbane. Yeah, uh, I'm a proud Torres Strait Islander. I lived here in the Torres Strait all my life. I have a beautiful wife and a lot of kids, and... Masig is home, uh, the traditional name. Uh, the English name is York Island, and um, I'm a proud Torres Strait Islander, which is um, residing here and with great concerns, yes. We were talking about um, about your mob just before in the previous interview. We were talking about uh, the, the war service of Torres Strait Islanders, particularly in the, um, the Second World War, and um, how so many uh, Torres Strait Islander men actually put their hand up to... To, to, to serve their country. Um, is, that, is that a history that you are aware and, and, and proud of? That is a history I'm very proud of. Um, being a grandson, my grandfather, he was, he was uh, in the war as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he, he actually has a very big story behind him as well. He fought for his country in such a way that he, he uh, bluffed his age. Um, right. So he was an underage, which, yeah, which um, anything to to serve his country. And um, being a descendant of my great and late grandfather, I'm so proud and I'm so proud of all the Torres Strait Islanders' elders, which um, fought my, both of my grandfather, my dad's mom as well, um, was in the army as well and serving the country and fought for our life today. Yeah, I'm so proud about that. So you yeah. should be. So you should be. Yes. Now you, as a, um, a, a traditional custodian, find yourself finding a, a new fight to protect your people. Um, describe to me the impacts that climate change is having on the Torres Strait Islanders up there. What What are we beginning to see happen? I'll talk. Um, I'll talk mainly about uh, on York Island. Mm-hmm. The the climate change or the the effect of global warming, which how it affects us. Um, of seeing inundations and erosion of our uh, our islands, um, living in a coral island, um, how 
when we when I grew up and uh, me and my siblings and every other York Islanders back then, we didn't see we've seen erosion, but we didn't see it to a dramatic effect. Now how we, how we see it today, um, like earlier last year, April, we've seen three meters got taken out. Half of the day, we've seen three meters got washed away, and that was very very frightening. Mm-hmm. Um, the bird life, the the bird life living on a Koroke island, like we we have a lot of um, crop, um, seabirds and and stuff. Not seeing the the flocks of seabirds how we used to see it back then. They're all they all they're all taken flight and probably found somewhere else to live. The inundation and the erosion which washes away our ancestral remains um, lies very dramatically it hurts it's it hurts our people it hurts me uh especially to walk on the beach with my kids to help our family picking up our ancestral remains and moving them further inland just just to see and to protect our our ancestral ties um saving people who actually when when we're alive made us and yeah. to see them and to see human remain is very scary and very frightening. Um, not in the sense of thing, but that we nearly lost our ancestors. Um, seeing some other families, which the sea took them. It's so sad. Um, the inundation and, uh, the water, how the water, uh, Brackish are well, well, our drinking waters and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, the garden crops, yes, our, our our traditional garden is not how it used to be. We have like sweet potatoes, for an example, just a bit bigger than an onion and stuff like that, when it used to be like size of a football and stuff like that. Seeing our crops and stuff like that, it's, yeah, it's, it's sad. It makes us, you have to work triple, um, time to you know to have a good harvest and um especially now that the, the monsoon seasons and stuff like that it, it just goes over our head we cannot predict when the rainy season comes in you know when we when we do our backburn and stuff like that and prepare our garden for a, a good monsoon for a good harvest and stuff like that it just doesn't add up it doesn't meet all our coconut trees which it's our it's it's our the tree of life for us to see so they- them all get withered and fall and drop and stuff like that is frightening and it's upsetting. So the seasonal rains, the seasons that your people for generations upon generations upon generations have relied on to to, to grow your food and, and to harvest your food are no longer as predictable as they used to be? No, no. We, we, are, we are experiencing much more longer droughts and sometimes the monsoon hits us so hard but so quickly, it doesn't fall for a long, long period of time um, to to flourish our crops and stuff like that. It comes in such a bang, which sometimes it drowns our crops, our, mm. drown our garden site and stuff like that. Yes, exactly. We don't. We, you know how from thousands of years we was we we got so adapted to reading the weather. Uh, reading the weather now is 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 such a big. It's, it's it's confusing when we look at it. Okay, well, this is the rainy season now, and this is at this particular time. You know, it's this mm. is the rain's gonna fall and stuff like that. So we we prepare our gardens, then all of a sudden, poof, we hit a drought for a month, and our crop dies. And yeah, 
we have to go further. We our ma- major diet and our major thing is seafood. Yep. And we have to go a bit further now to like not like usual. Go further uh, out. We have to go way further out. Uh, the coral has bleached. The fish has gone to search for a better better location to survive. And for them to go further to survive, we have to go further to survive. It's um it's heartbreaking hearing yep. all of this, um, Yessi. And so you, with a, a, a bunch of other like-minded people across the Torres Strait, have had enough and you've decided to bring some action against the Australian government by taking them to UN over its inaction on, on climate change. Describe to me uh, what that case looks like and, and what, what are you hoping to achieve out of taking the Australian government to the UN? We're, we're doing... Why we've gone to this, this extent to, um, to go further to the U, United Nations... We have a freedom of life. We have a freedom of existence to survive in our own, own, our country, our home, where we've been, we've been placed here. Um, we're not immigrants to this, this land where we're living on. We're custodians. We're not actually, sorry, no, we're not custodians. We're traditional owners. We're from here. Our genealogy and everything lies here. This thing for us to go further is not for us now, like for me, but for our future. Yep. And we, we don't we don't we don't want to be immigrants or in our own country. It's, we are um, refugees, sorry. We don't want to be refugees in our own country. We we have the right to live in. That's why we're taking this further. Because for us, nothing's not being done as it's supposed to be. And it doesn't it doesn't get any more real than this, Yessi. It's it's something that um impacts your lives day to day. I I understand that the federal government contributed twenty five million dollars towards a, a seawall, but that's kinda of like putting a band-aid on the whole solution. You wanna see the Australian government take a global stance with global partners to actually start impacting the effects of climate change. Is is, is that what you want to see happen? Yes, that's exactly yes. Um, what we want to see happen, like we just we, we want the whole f- full loaf of the bread. We just we, we don't want the crumbs. Yeah, good yeah. idea. Brilliant, brilliant. So, what are what are the next steps here? And is is there anything that the the Triple R audience can do to support your action? I'll just to let you know. Yes, we've got a very sort of active. Uh, listenership here on on Triple R, and so um, I think people listening to this right now would really want to know if there's anything that uh, we can do from down here in in lockdown Melbourne to support uh, the people of the Torres Strait Islander, uh, Torres Strait Torres Strait Islands with this with this action. Is is there any way we can support you? Yes, yes, there is, there is there is there is a way to support us. Um, just going back, like how the Australian government. Um, wants to dismiss this case and stuff, and we 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 want this this thing to go further and stuff like that. Uh, there is a website. There is a website where you can um, sign a petition to help up to help us. Is that and, through, um, that's through three fifty dot org? Yes, that's it. Okay, Three fifty dot org. Yeah, and um, it call, it calls our island our home. Yep. And if if you sign into that, there is a petition there, and we our aim is to have twenty thousand uh, people to sign, uh, and we encourage and please because 
why I'm saying please is because Australia is a country like no other. Mm-hmm. No other countries around this whole world is like Australia. Australia is so new, unique and so blessed. Australia is the only country which has two totally, totally different race of indigenous people, the mainland Aborigines and the Torres Strait Islanders, which Australia should be very proud of. And to lose one of an ancient race of people which survived in this continent of Australia for over 60,000 years, your health, by just by taking two minutes in signing that petition, will save an ancient race the, from moving from the home. The hashtag on social media is hashtag our island, our home. The website is uh, 350.org. There's a petition there. They're hoping to get it up to 20,000. I'm sure we can do that between us. Uh, let's do everything we can do to support one of the most ancient cultures on earth, uh, a beautiful culture full of beautiful people. And one of those beautiful people tonight has been uh, Yessie Mosby. Thank you so much for coming on, Yessie. I really appreciate your time this evening. It's a blessing. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. <laughs>